Welcome to Veterinary Vertex, a podcast of the AVMA Journals. I'm Associate Editor Dr. Sarah Wright, and I'm joined by a special guest co-host today, Dr. Jason Stoll. Dr. Stoll is a consultant for Javmon AJVR and is an assistant professor at The Ohio State University and the University of Prince Edward Island. He's also a diplomat of the American College of Veterinary Preventative Medicine. We're bringing you a special episode with our guests, Ankita Gupta, Brad Hogshead, and Christina Muse. We are so excited to speak with you all today. Ankita is a DVM PhD candidate in the Comparative Biomedical Sciences graduate program at North Carolina State University College of Veterinary Medicine. Christina is a third-year veterinary student at the Royal Veterinary College in the UK, and Brad is a second-year veterinary student at The Ohio State University College of Veterinary Medicine. In this episode, we're going to talk about their experience as student associate editors. Thank you all so much for joining us. So for our first question, not only are you all student associate editors for JAV on AJVR, but you're all also researchers and authors. Can you share a little bit about your background for our listeners? Ankita, can you start us off? Sure. Hi, Sarah. Thank you so much for having us all here. Very excited to be here. Um, so a little bit about my background. I did my undergrad at Rutgers University in New Jersey. And as an undergrad, I was very involved with the animal science research department. And that really helped me establish a springboard for the rest of my career. So I started off with Dr. Nick Bellow, spent four years in his lab, got a first author publication towards the end of it, and decided I wanted to do a DVM PhD. And to pursue that, I came to North Carolina State University in 2017. And now I'm working on their doctors, Duncan Lascelles and Santosh Mishra, and it has been an amazing experience. So that Rutgers experience to New York, Carolina has been the best part for me. That's amazing to hear, and we're glad that you're contributing all that you learned to our journal. So thank you. Christina, how about you? Thanks, Sarah, for having us. It's very exciting to be here. Uh, so I started my university career at the University of Winnipeg in Winnipeg, Canada. There I did the Bachelor of Science Honors degree, um, and I joined Dr. Craig Willis's lab studying vet um, behavior right before they enter hibernation. Um, I applied to vet school, but couldn't get into vet school in Canada. So I took a few years off afterwards, uh, working in vet clinics. And then I decided to go back to Dr. Craig Willis's lab to do a master's. Um, there I studied the vet hibernation, physi- physi- sorry, physiology and behavior of big brown bats. And then afterwards, I applied to vet school internationally. And now I'm a third year vet student at the Royal Veterinary College. Great. Thanks so much for sharing. We're happy to have you with us. Brad, can you tell our listeners a little bit about your background? Yeah, thanks for having me, Sarah. It's great to be here with everybody. So I, I've i been at OSU for quite a while. <laughs> I did my um, my bachelor's in animal sciences here uh, for my undergrad, and I graduated with research distinction in animal sciences. Um, I volunteered in um, a lab in one of our, our, our animal sciences department, so that really got my foot in the door as far as the research goes. So after I completed my bachelor's, I wasn't entirely sure if I wanted to pursue vet school. So I ended up completing another master's of science degree in comparative and veterinary medicine. And I was based at the time it was named the Food Animal Health Research Program, but it's now called the Center for Food Animal Health, I believe. Um, but the lab I worked in, uh, we focused prim- primarily on um, swine influenza um, and vaccine development. So it was a very rigorous program, but I'm thankful I went through it because I learned so much, especially now with um, 
the pandemic and whatnot. So learning virology and immunology was very beneficial to me. Um, then afterwards, I went back, I actually even retook some undergrad courses and I worked at um, a general practice vet clinic. And then actually also worked at our um, at Ohio State's Veterinary Medical Center for a little bit in our ophthalmology department. So after that, I'm I'm now here as a vet student, a second year vet student, and I'm also a, a dual degree DVM MPH student as well. That's great to hear. We're just so fortunate to have all of you with us. I'm really astounded listening to all your backgrounds. You're all so accomplished. So thank you so much. So you're all about a month or so into being student associate editors. Brad, can you start us off and let us know what it's like being a student associate editor? Absolutely. Um, I mean, so far I've enjoyed the experience. Everyone is great to work with. Um, you and Dr. Stoll are awesome mentors and helping us through the learning curve and whatnot. And uh, Dr. Fortier has been great um, leading the meetings and I, I've enjoyed interacting with everybody so far. Um, like I said, there is a little bit of a learning curve and it's it's a little bit of an adjustment too, especially second year because second year is um, a little bit rough for us, but I'm, I'm enjoying the, the process so far. Great. Christina or Ankita, anything to add to that? I echo Brad and all that he said as well. Um, it's been a very supportive environment. I'm learning a lot. It's very interesting being on the other side of the journal. I'm used to being in the, the writer's position or the author's position. So it is very interesting to be on the other side, getting to see the background of a journal. Um, and I do agree with Brad as well. Uh, we've been able to answer, ask a lot of questions too, and this has been a very supportive environment. Agree with everything that's been said. Just one other thing to add is I've learned and really appreciate patience now because all I've experienced so far is hitting the submit button when you upload a manuscript into uh, for any journal, but I have no idea what's going on behind the back curtain in a way. So patience has been a big thing that I've learned so far and I really value it. Well, truly a pleasure to be a part of this. And Sarah, thanks for the invitation. Um, you guys are super impressive. Uh, it's honestly kind of humbling uh, to be to be with you. I certainly wasn't in your in your shoes uh, when I was applying to veterinary school. So so way to go. Um, so I know you haven't been doing this for very long, but but in but in this in this time, and maybe Christine, I'll start with you. What do you think you've learned about the scientific writing process through your role as an associate editor? Uh, it's definitely seen the other side of a good manuscript. Um, when I was a master's student and when I was an undergrad student, my supervisor definitely made it, um, definitely pushed us to be able to do clear writing in anything that we did, our dissertations or journal articles. Um, so now being on the other side and reading manuscripts, I can definitely now see the importance of very clear writing, telling a story, giving a lot of detail in manuscripts. So it's definitely, it's definitely the clear writing aspect. Excellent. Brad, anything on your end? Yeah, so I definitely agree with Christina. Um, seeing it from the reviewer's point of view has been pretty eye-opening eye as well. I'd also add, um, as far as just the general um, like journal process of like all the checkpoints that a manuscript has to go through first before it even reaches the reviewer's hands, um, it, you, it's, it's something that as a, a writer as well that you don't think about like the whole um, publishing process essentially. Yeah, that's a great point. Ankita, anything else? 
the importance of tables and figures. They make it so simple for a reader to follow through. And as a non-expert coming into this field, um, it makes the papers easier to comprehend. And then reading from the writing from the reader's perspective is very helpful. Yeah, those are really, really good guys. I, I completely agree with you. Um, so maybe Ankita, I'll, I'll start with you with this next one. So life lessons, right? So obviously we have a number of individuals listening to this podcast and maybe other students uh, that are interested in emul emulating your success. So what would you say maybe two to three life lessons that you'd share with them? Number one, don't give up. No matter how hard the situation gets, don't give up, keep striving through it and you will make it through would be the number one lesson. And the other thing I can think of is if an experience pops up and it's not even remotely to what you're interested in, but you have even just a slight interest in it, pursue it because you never know where that path may take you. That's good. Brad, anything to add to this? So I will definitely echo what Ankita said. Um, persistence is key if you are dead set on pursuing this profession. Um, but also add, don't be afraid to pursue the non-traditional route either, um, just because sometimes those non-traditional routes can actually provide the most valuable experience that will actually that will get you through vet school and the rest of your career. Mm, great, wise words, uh, Christina. I definitely echo Ankita and Brad in those aspects. Um, and then I would just want to add in to push through the failures because they happen to everyone. Um, and doesn't make you less of a vet student. They happen. It's just all that matters is how you push through, how you work through it, um, and how you reach the success at the end. Very wise words, all of you. And I could definitely resonate with some of what you're saying as well. So thank you for sharing that with our listeners. All right. So Brad, we'll start with you. What advice would you share with veterinary students that are interested in authorship? Oh, that's a excellent question. Um, I, I would say first they need to understand the foundation of of um, the scientific process. So, if that means volunteering in a lab and understanding how the research process process goes, all the way from basis of writing a proposal to you know following up with the um, you know did you accept the, with the funding essentially is what I'm trying to say. So, and then. Pursuing the project, completing it, and then presenting it or even publishing it. So I think it's very important that as a fundamental aspect of um, being an author that you need to understand that. Very good advice. There's so much that goes into it that people often don't see, especially when you just see the final product at a conference and you think, oh, I can do that. So thank you for sharing that. Christina, what advice would you share? I would say definitely to find the right mentor in your career that will expose you to those opportunities. Um, definitely, uh, writing a, like a research article is one aspect, but also searching out like different science communication opportunities and learning how to write in different ways will definitely strengthen, um, any author. Very nice. Thank you. And Kita, do you have anything to add? Yeah, just one key takeaway that has been a big learning lesson for me. Research doesn't happen overnight. It takes months, two years sometimes to even get to a publication. So going back to the advice I gave at first, don't give up. But once you find a lab, try to put in as many hours as you can. Show that you're interested and vested in it. 
talk to the grad students, talk to the mentors, talk to the past graduates and the veterinary students in that area. And that will really help you succeed and get to your publication or presentation. Thank you so much for sharing that. Now, Ankita, you've shared a lot about how being a researcher has helped get you into your DVM PhD program and what you're currently working on. How is this going to help you achieve your ultimate career goals? That is a really good question. And I ask myself that every day. Um, so the career path that I have chosen is extremely long. My DVM PhD training is about eight years long. And then I hope to do an internship and surgical residency and then eventually get a job. So the research training that I'm receiving as part of my PhD is really building the foundation for the rest of my career. I'm learning how to think critically and learning how to not only publish papers, but the whole scientific process from A to Z. And um, that will hopefully get me through to my end point when I'm a clinician scientist in academia. That's fantastic. Thanks so much for sharing. Christina, how have your experiences, including being a student associate editor, prepared you for your career? For me, it's keeping up on the literature. Uh, definitely the literature is always coming out very quickly. Uh, so, so it is a way to keep it up or keep up on it. Um, and also discovering different veterinary researchers outside of my own university. Um, I will eventually be looking for a PhD supervisor. So being able to look around um, and also being able to network as well, because we do get to interact with people um, throughout this position. So networking and keeping up on the literature. That's an excellent point. Sometimes I even look at the reviewer list and I'm like, oh, wow, I get to contact that person. That's pretty cool. You know, you read their papers and see them present at conferences or they write the textbook. So always a pretty unique experience there. And then Brad, how has this position helped kind of shape your career moving forward? Well, so I, I definitely agree with what both Ankita and Christina said. I'm going to have to side a little more with Ankita, though, because we both have similar uh, career goals. Um, just, again, re going through the literature, reading the papers and knowing, well, what makes this a good paper versus uh, what what doesn't and what what is good science um, and good, a good publication, essentially, which is all essential to how we're going to practice medicine in the future. And for me personally, I'm hoping to do a residency and maybe um, a PhD and become uh, an academic clinician or a researcher, um, essentially. So being able to review manuscripts thoroughly and, and understanding them is going to be essential to what, what I'm pursuing. Excellent. So anyone out there who's got a PhD position or wants to hire one of these individuals, you know how to get in touch with them. Um, excellent. So I'm going to get a little personal, hopefully not too uncomfortably personal, um, but here's the question. So what's the oldest, most interesting item? And, you know, here we're thinking of things like desk drawers that you where you keep it or something close to where you work. Um, and Keita, why don't you start us off? This is a tricky question. I have a couple of objects, but I'll go with the one that has the most sentimental value to me. So over my time as a DVM PhD student and at Rutgers, I have been accumulating these cards and notes from my peers, colleagues, professors, my bosses, students I may have mentored, and I have them saved in a Ziploc bag. So anytime I have a hard day or an experiment doesn't work or I get a sort of a rejection for anything, uh, or something just doesn't go right, I always reach into the Ziploc bag, take out a card or a note, read it, and that makes me feel so much better. So um, that's my sentimental, most valuable object in my desk. 
All right. Can you can you send that to me, please? Sure. <laughs> I think I could use it on numerous days. I love that. That's awesome. Brad, how about you? Well, unfortunately, I don't really have a desk drawer, <laughs> but um, I'd say the oldest thing that I have, um, and I don't know why I have this still, but it, it's one of those old uh, TI graphing calculators all the way from high school. I found it and like just in a random place. And I'm like, why do I still have this? And it's funny because math was not my favorite subject. So why even more so, why do I have this this calculator? And I guess for some reason in the back of my brain, I was thinking, you know, maybe I would find a use for it someday. But I have yet to do that even, even in this line of work. So we'll see where it ends up. <laughs> That's right. You wait till your PhD. I'm pretty confident you'll need it then. <laughs> How about you, Christina? Uh, me, after being in the UK for only about like a year and a half or so, um, I haven't accumulated much stuff and I've only ever really brought over what I needed and the necessities. Um, so I definitely say the most interesting or like kind of the, the oldest thing would be my passport. It's definitely the most important right now too. Thanks. Absolutely. Yeah. Very useful thing to have. You never know when you're going to need that. I actually lived in Canada all of last year uh, doing a fellowship at the Vancouver Aquarium. And I brought it with me everywhere, mostly because of COVID regulations. You couldn't go into a restaurant without your passport and vaccine card. So it became such a staple. And now it's weird, like not carrying it around with me every day. I used to have it just like in my pocket because you never know. So definitely a good thing to have. But thank you all just so much again for joining us. We really love hearing from you. And it's fantastic to have you be a part of our team, bringing a fresh perspective to our journals. And then also we love training you too to hopefully be the next generation of associate editors potentially. So always great there. And thank you too, Jason, for being an excellent co-host. Really appreciate you, your input and expertise today. Anytime. Awesome. Thank you all again. And thank you too to our listeners. We want to thank each of you for joining us on this episode of the Veterinary Vertex podcast. We love sharing cutting-edge veterinary research with you, and we want to hear from you. Be sure to leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or whatever platform you listen to. Until next time, take care, and we'll see you soon.